Hello, welcome to Recapping with Delora and Ashley. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Recapping Podcast. Also, comment, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're on all the things. We would love to hear your ratings of the movies and shows we review. Email us your audio file to recappingpodcast at gmail.com and we'll play it during the show. Or DM us on Instagram and we will post and read it on air. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you. Ashley! Well, hello, hello. How are you? I am doing fantastic because we had the most wonderful in conversation with the lovely and talented Jerika Duncan. Yes. And it's our hundredth episode. Okay. We made it. Can you imagine? 100. We made it. Mama, we made it. it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited for our audience, Recap Nation, to hear this conversation. She dropped so many gems. Like, y'all ain't ready. Y'all ain't ready. Yeah, and it's so nice, as we've talked about with previous guests, to continue to have diversity in background, right? Jerika is a journalist, guys, CBS National News correspondent. So we're giving y'all all the things in the TV and film landscape. So very exciting. We appreciate you, Jerika. So very much. And without further ado, here's our conversation. Our favorite way to open these special conversations is to ask... Please walk us and our listeners through the highlights of your journey thus far, from a communications major at Ohio University to CBS Weekend News anchor and CBS Mornings correspondent. Well, I always like to let people know I I had hopes and dreams of being a director. I wanted to be a director of music videos. That's what I thought I was going to school to be. And... I grew up around news because my father is a sportscaster, sports anchor, and we moved from city to city every two to three years. So subconsciously, it was in me. I was familiar with newsrooms. I enjoyed storytelling. At nine, 10 years old, I remember staying up or asking my mother to stay up so we could watch 2020. So I was always intrigued by those things. Very curious child, but growing up in the 80s and 90s, um, and music videos were a thing, like in the early 90s, late 90s. Oh, yeah. MTV was king, for sure. MTV, BET, VH1. Yes. But I didn't necessarily like how we were being portrayed. Mm. And I thought, we need more, even back then, we need more female directors. We need more of us deciding what the narrative is, is going to be in terms of how to tell this story through the words that these artists were giving us. And I went to Ohio University thinking that was the path that I would take. I, I like creating. I interned at Arista Records at the time. My uncle used to work there. Oh, so wow. I saw storyboarding and treatments and all of the things that go into making a video. But I quickly realized that maybe that's not where my real passion was after interning at 
Channel 5 in Cleveland with the investigative reporter, Dwayne Pullman, who actually now works in Cincinnati. Yes. I've known Dwayne for 20 years. Name sounds very familiar. Yes. So I thought then maybe I actually want to do news. And I also remember thinking my father had flexibility in his job and knew it well at that time. He was able to do a newscast at six and come to my basketball or track meets at seven, seven thirty, and still get back in time to do his 11 o'clock mm. newscast. Um, and oftentimes he didn't have to necessarily leave home until 12 or one. But then again, you know, he wasn't finishing his last broadcast. His segment ends at 1130. So they were long days, but I just remember thinking about the flexibility that he had. And also um, sort of, you know, believing if my dad can do it, well, I can do it. Mm -hmm. So I took a different route. I did news instead of sports, still love sports, active in sports. Mm -hmm. Um, and pursued that path at Ohio University, even though the degree was, you know, broadly communications with a minor in business. And first job was in Elmira, New York. This is a small market, television markets range. I think there's over 200 television markets. Elmira, New York was market 173. Mm. The market size is based on the amount of people in the community. It's a small mm-hmm. community. It's a, it's a starter market, as they say. And I learned a lot there. I was there for two years. I moved on to Buffalo, New York. I learned a lot there. I was there for three years. And it was after that time, like, okay, I've got five years under my belt. Now I can maybe make a move. And I, I was looking at Columbus, mm. Cleveland. I even thought about, um, what was, was it Kansas City? Yeah, Kansas City was on the list. And I saw myself at all three places. I remember visiting in Cleveland and, and Columbus were obvious. Kansas City wasn't as obvious, but I visited and I loved the station. The people were great. Uh, the money, you know, would have been pretty good at that time. And they mm-hmm. wanted to make me like a noon anchor and then report. And I think they wanted to start make, it was like $90,000 a year. And I was making 40,000 in in Buffalo. So this was like, Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Um, But then Philadelphia came calling and Philadelphia at the time is the top five largest television markets in the country. Mm -hmm. And I'm 26, about to turn 27 um, or 25 about to turn 26. I was still relatively young in the career. And I remember thinking, even though it wasn't as much money as Kansas City, I knew that the opportunity was better. So I went to Philadelphia and then I I spent three years there. And then I ended up um, in New York City three years later. And I was expecting a baby and a lot of just a, a huge transition, but a beautiful time. And I just started grinding. And here I am almost nine years later, still at CBS in New York City. That was my that was my my journey from sort of the interest to where I am today. I have a quick follow up to that. How easy Mm -hmm. was it for you? Because in the world of reporting and news, you obviously want to move up from journalist to anchor to from local to national. How easy was your transition over the course of those years as you're kind of moving from station to station? 
I don't think it's easy for anyone when you're moving like that, especially during that particular time in one's life where you're still learning about yourself. I mean, we're constantly evolving, but the twenties are just, it's a rude awakening because you went from this environment where everyone is your age, right? You're Mm -hmm. in college, everyone's somewhere between like 18 and 23, 24 for the most part. And then you're in the work environment where you're a baby and nobody quite respects you because you're still learning and you have to learn from scratch. And college doesn't necessarily prepare you for that as much as it shows an employer that you committed yourself to something for four years in a specific area. So you you might be more likely to, to do well on this job. But a lot of television news is on the job training. And how bad do you want it? So if you're a story, you know, if you, you're an investigative reporter or maybe your area is health or you're just a general assignment, I say how bad do you want it because it's, it's a craft. So it means reading the newspaper. It means building contacts. It means going to meetings at City Hall and understanding how government works at a very local level. It's being in community with the community that you serve, getting out going to events and taking pride in what you do. So I don't think the transition was easy. I think it was difficult. I think it was challenging, but I don't think that's unique, especially to anybody in this sort of 20 to 30 range when you're still, you know, you're so hungry and you're trying to figure it out and you want to make a good impression, but yet people may not take you as seriously or you want the big story, but you're not right, quite ready for the big story yet. And everything, um, happens with time. I knew that starting out in Elmira, I wanted to stay at least, you know, two to five years was my, my plan. In my mind, I said, if I'm not moving up in this industry in like a, maybe what was it? Three to five, maybe I told myself, but I knew that I wanted to give it a good try. And if it wasn't for me, I I knew I had enough skills to do something else, probably in the communication realm where I could make an earnest living and still be happy. So I appreciate the level of detail because I think at the essence of what I was wondering was, what do you think really helped to set you apart from your peers, especially as you continue to transition over into your current role? So I think saying, you know, how bad do you want it? Probably the additional research you put into it. I'm Mm -hmm. sure hopefully you had some mentorship along the Mm -hmm. way as well that helped. Definitely. And prayers. I have a praying family. Because when you're 22 years old, living in a basement apartment (laughs) in a city where you don't necessarily have family, I look back at all of that and I'm just like, wow. And now that I have a daughter, like the idea of her, even though she's, you know, God willing, going to grow up and be a grown woman one day, her living somewhere far away from me in a city that she doesn't know. Literally, in in my case, I lived in a basement apartment when I was in Buffalo, and just the stories that we tell, the the horrible stories about you know women living on their own and somebody's like watching them, or you know, it's it's rare that these things happen, but they do happen. Um, so I say my praying family and definitely a work ethic that my father would say is unmatched. He always says nobody's gonna out out hustle you, and um. That is in my pedigree. I was someone, even when I played basketball and ran track, I wasn't necessarily the star athlete or the fastest person or the most skilled on the court. I worked really hard. I worked during the summer. 
I knew what I needed to get better at. And I, I would focus in on that so that I was more prepared with each season. So I guess to answer that question, what separates me, I just say it's the hard work because I, I and at this particular level, at the national level, there's a lot of people who who work hard. There's a lot of people who work hard at every level of news. But some people don't necessarily have the dream of going to work for a network. Some mm -hmm. people go back to their home and they're so yes. happy to be around their family. Mm -hmm. um, and they just, you know, want to do the stories that they want to do. And if you find a place or a station that allows you to, to grow and be your best self, then you've, you've struck gold. Because I know a lot of people too at the network level that are miserable because maybe they're not doing the stories that they thought they would be doing or getting the opportunities uh, that they feel they deserve. So, but I, I'd say hard work is, is what will separate most of us mm -hmm. and a belief in yourself that you, you can do it really mm -hmm. believing in yourself because there's always going to be people um, trying to get in your head and doubt you, mm. but you That's have to know deep down inside that you've got this. And most importantly, you know, not sure of how everyone believes, but for me, it's God's got it. Like at the end of the day, this isn't, this is not my battle. Mm. So I'm going to put in the work. I'm going to pray about it and hope that it all works out. That faith is so important. I think it is. Yeah. You end up answering one of the questions I had, which was, did your father's career inspire your career? Since you've answered that, what advice did your father give you when you decided to go in this lane? <laughs> I laugh. <laughs> I, I laugh because there's a, <laughs> I don't even know if I should share this story, but in the spirit of podcasts and being a little loose and open and honest and knowing um, that my dad would find this funny too. And and he, oh, Lord bless him. Um, first of all, I'll say that both of my parents played a big role in me doing what I do. My father obviously had the direct line, but mm -hmm. my mother has also been a huge cheerleader, supporter. Big shout outs to Yvonne Duncan for yes. birthing me into this yes, world. Mama. Yes, so what just does she do? My mom is actually a legal paralegal. So she works for a judge in Virginia, a few judges. Um, and she's always had the the legal part, which is funny because I wound up going back to school while I've been here in New York a mm. couple of years ago and got my master's in American legal studies. Mm. So even in nice. what I ended up doing, it's funny how watching her and, and her go back to school and study and always being interested and fascinated in the law and how it works has, a, has an impact on me. But as far as advice that my father gave me, always to work hard, right? To study those that you admire. Mm. But, and, and, and most importantly, he's always been somebody that at the end of the day is reminding me to lean in on my faith because there's just always going to be forces out here that you just like, you're not sure mm -hmm. what's going on and you have to be resolute in who you are and, and take it, take it to God. But um, what I will say is when I was about 18 and I pretty much decided that, you know, I was heading into this direction of, of making movies, making um, videos, I should say. He said to me, you just stay loyal to your career because uh, your career will be more loyal to you than any man. 
So there's my, the, my moment of like, and I've said that to him and he kind of laughs and he's like, well, I didn't mean it like that. I'm just, you know, you were a young lady and I didn't want you to get off track and, you know, fall head over heels for somebody and forget that you have these dreams and these, these things you want to accomplish. Yes. But I think he kind of felt like there might be a little bit true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you don't get a good one, you know, ladies out there focus on focus on you there is plenty of time for all the other stuff but make sure you get your stuff in order and that's really important because even in a woman's life husband then the children come right and so being able to stay focused on who you were before or your goals before you become a mother is super important because I have a daughter as well she can see you as an example, you right. know, like right now, Ketanji Brown Jackson is going through, you know, confirmation and that picture of her daughter looking so proud. Isn't of it her. beautiful? Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that is new a moment. life goal. Yeah. Like I want my daughter <laughs> to look at me like that, you know? And you know what I really love speaking of that, that moment at the very beginning of the hearings where she thanked her parents and her husband and you know, her in-laws, all the people who have come from across the country to be there to celebrate that moment. Um, She looked at her two daughters and she said, you know, I know this hasn't been easy on you and I'm paraphrasing, but I hope that this will show you that when you work really hard and you believe in yourself, you can accomplish anything. And I thought about that because she had to be incredibly busy and balancing a very stressful job, mm-hmm. in my opinion, and having not just one, but two children. So I thought that was important too, because for someone like myself, um, as, a, as a single mom at that, you want to make sure you're there for your children because you only get one shot. So it's very important for me during my time with my daughter, family time, um, that I'm present, that I'm not necessarily on my phone or still doing work. And sometimes that happens, but it's really important for me to make sure that when it's all said and done, she has memories of me being here and not feeling like I was just always working. So I I felt that was really important for her to acknowledge that because I just think, wow, even for her to say, yeah, it hasn't been easy and just almost not quite apologize, but honor the fact that I'm sure there were nights or things that she missed for this moment right here, which is so historic. But um, yeah, love that picture of her daughter just looking at her like, you got this, mom. You got this. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned a little bit already about athletics and we did our research. So I did discover that you were quite an accomplished athlete, breaking track and field records in school and winning a 2005 NAACP image award of athletics. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, you. You know, they always talk about kind of that mentality of athleticism that, you know, comes out of having reach certain statures. Do you feel that coming from that athletic background helped prepare you in particular mentally for your career field? And there are there any other traits you feel like you kind of pulled over from your athletic career? I like to say athletes definitely come with a certain mentality that some people don't have built in them in the same way. You know, I think it's in us to fight when we need to. I think it's in us to have, you know, when you have a passion to go for it, 
but there is something about being a part of organized sports and doing that in high school and then at the collegiate level that it it pushes you and it challenges you and and um for me track and field was always sort of this metaphor for life and i look at hurdles as the perfect example of that because with each hurdle you know you have to attack it aggressively you have to make sure you use all the training and everything you've learned to get over that that's literally what we're doing in life everything that we've learned up until this moment whatever that is has prepared us to kind of get over the hurdle and even when you don't get over the hurdle and you fall down the goal while the race is happening is to get back up i mean unless you are severely injured and somebody will help you get up or you know that will get handled but i think of it as a metaphor for life because in track and field there were many times that I fell over hurdles and some big meets and it's embarrassing at first but then you're like no you got to you got to get back up you know was that song by mystical um, <laughs> you ain't seen bouncing back or whatever that this is I'm going back now I was going to say see, show, I don't go deep into the, the mystical mystical discography but it's, it's um, the Johnny McKirkland for me, you know, we Donnie fall McKirkland. down, but okay, there you go. Up. That's even better. <laughs> Thank you. I'm coming with my mystical here. She <laughs> actually, how about some Johnny McClurkin since we are talking about God <laughs> our faith? Um, no, but I think, um, being an athlete has helped and I always say the track will always be my happy place because it's the place where I can sort of clear my head and it's just so familiar to me even now. I just love going and even sitting out in the middle of the field and letting the sun just shine on me. It's a beautiful feeling. For me that's like sometimes my little vacation away from home. So that's wonderful love. because you found a place where you can ground yourself, right? Absolutely. And I love the idea of, especially you talking about you ran hurdles, that being a metaphor, because to your point, if you fall down, the goal is still always to finish the race. And how often is that needed as the mindset in life of no matter what you're going through, no matter what setbacks you face, no matter how long it takes, we got to keep going because we got to get to the end of this race. And the other thing I always like to remind people of is stay in your lane, right? Mm -hmm. Run your race. It's mm -hmm. not about looking to the left, looking to the right. You definitely can't turn around. Oh my gosh, you didn't lost the race. The You're preaching now. <laughs> you you got to stay focused on the finish line. And when you do that, it'll work out. Again, it's not even about placing first, second, third. It's about accomplishing a goal. Mm -hmm. The very basic goal is to finish and finish strong. Run your race. Do the best you can. I say it all the time. It's true. So you also mentioned to that. <laughs> a yay man. Okay. You also mentioned that you wanted to be a music video director, which I love because I used to want to be a film director. What profession today, other than your own, would you like to attempt? Mm. So recently I interviewed Common for a story about prison reform. And I decided to throw in during our little walk and talk that I, you know, actually uh, wanted to do uh, direct music videos, but <laughs> it's like, maybe one day I'll, and he's just like, yeah, okay. In a very nice, calm, cool, common way. So I have not lost sight of that. I, I still see myself directing something 
one day. I don't know what it will be, but it's going to happen. And then as far as other things that I'm interested in, possibly teaching, sometimes I think about, could I see myself doing some sort of fitness, something instructing or, but I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not consistent enough with that. If I get in three days a week, I'm good. So I don't know if I'm the person to really motivate people daily to be active, but I do like to move. I do think there's something to be said about just taking a walk, getting fresh air. Um, And what else would I, and sometimes I've thought about maybe I would go back to school and actually get a law degree. Maybe. Why not? Following in mom's footsteps in that case. Well, so she doesn't have a law degree. That would be funny if we both went back to school to become lawyers. Mm Mm-hmm. But yes, and in, in terms of pivoting that, into yeah her career into that fields. role, yeah. But I should convince her that maybe, just maybe, we should go back together. That would be so much fun. I love that, and then you can cover that as a story. Mm, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what scared me though, I have a lot of friends that are lawyers. That first year, I remember as a young person. I mean, my friends were like stressed, and I, yeah. I remember even getting the master's in legal studies. I say that, but then I remember after I finished, like, I'm not doing this to myself ever again. I don't want to read another chapter. I don't want to write another paper. <laughs> sounds about right. I don't even know yeah, why, we like, just why said did that. I do this to myself? Why did I put myself through this? Yeah. We just said that. We were saying, oh, if we could go back to school and not have the elements of being graded and having to write papers and take tests and really just absorb information and have the opportunity to learn, oh, it will be wonderful. But it's that like performance pressure. The application. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that makes school a little more challenging, especially when you have other responsibilities to juggle in the mm-hmm. midst of it. And you would have but a if, lot going on if you went back to school right now. Oh, I would stop what I'm doing if I did it for real. If I had the, the resources and I was serious about it, I would, that's all I would focus on. I would be a full-time student. Yeah. While Journey's in school, mommy would be in school. But so we're going to pray on that. Yes, yes. <laughs> Your reporting has covered a range of news topics from the weather to our legal system Uh, to artists. You just mentioned common. Do you have a favorite topic? And if so, why? I enjoy doing stories on people who are the underdogs. Like I love a good inspirational story because I feel like we all could pull from that. I also enjoy stories that tell us about who we are, where we come from, the history. So a story that I'm looking at potentially doing, Constance Baker Motley, first federal judge, Black woman who's been brought up many times during the confirmation hearings. She worked for the NAACP. She went before the Supreme Court and argued 10 times, won nine of the cases. And one of the first cases that she went before the Supreme Court was... uh, I think it was Meredith versus Fair, or I should know this, but the bottom line is it had to do with a person, um, James Meredith, who was trying to get into Mississippi University and he could not, he was discriminated against. And because they won the case, he was the first black person to go to Mississippi. He's still alive today. He's 88. So I'm hoping to maybe connect with him and maybe his family to see if he would be interested in giving us his take on what it means if, in fact, Katanji Brown Jackson is confirmed 
So we know they're trying to get through all of this before um, Easter. And I just think it would be a really interesting look back from a historical standpoint. I didn't know this until I started reading more about Constance Baker Motley and some of the cases that she worked on. Um, she would have been 100. I think last year, these people you know, celebrated the fact that she would have been 100 years old. She died in 2005. I think she was like 84. Huge, huge trailblazer. And I think it would be a great time to remind people of people like her who made it possible for people like Katanji Brown Jackson. So that's Almost what kind I'm of hoping a figures to, situation. Uh, right. And I love those sort of stories because they tell us more about a time that we were not a part of. And while we can read about it or kind of briefly hear about it, we didn't live it. So it's different. It's a, it hits us differently, even though, you know, we know about the civil rights movement. We know about enslaved people. We know about these things, but we, we will never quite really have the same appreciation, I think, for those who are still with us who remember when, you know, my grandmother mm-hmm. telling me that my father was like the first black child born at that hospital because prior to 1958, they were not allowing black people to get serviced at this hospital. And this is in Baltimore, Maryland. Now I'd have to fact check my grandmother to make sure what she's telling me is accurate, but um, <laughs> I have no reason to believe that even if, if my father wasn't the first, there was some history there where at Absolutely. some point black and brown babies were not allowed to be born in this hospital. And I just find it fascinating when you really try and, and understand it from the vantage point of the people who are still with us. Granted, they're getting older, but they have these incredible stories that remind us of the resolve and the strength that many of us, it's in our DNA. Absolutely. And I think when you celebrate that, you can lean in on that when you are faced with certain obstacles uh, in this country. And I mean, even watching the hearings of Katanji Brown Jackson, there were parts of me that I, I understand you have to as the other as this is a big moment. I'm going to be careful about, you know, because once this is out there, it lives. This is a big moment. And I understand wanting to make sure you get people on their record and ask them tough questions. But I also think there is an air of talking down to someone and a mm-hmm. lack of respect. Absolutely. And I think some, sometimes it's the tone. It's the how it's it's reminding me of. And you're not alone in that assessment, Jerika, obviously. Yeah. And I think that's of, what's it's so difficult to, to watch at it's times. Triggering. because Definitely. It's how this person of substance is being spoken to. And through that, her still having to say, well, thank you for that, uh, Senator, da, 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 da. But there, meanwhile, that's not what you said. That, well, that's, well, you know, and I remember there was one specific instance where she's explaining herself. And I think the person just literally waited and said, well, it sounds like a bunch of malarkey to me. And that was it. Yeah. And it was just like, can we at least be respectful in the process? Would you talk to your mother that way? Exactly. Would you talk to your sister that way? Maybe it sounds like your directorial debut is going to be on a historical significant figure, Jerika. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm getting. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Sounds Maybe. like something you're passionate about and could have a heavy hand in to direct. Yeah. But what gives what gives me hope 
even in the midst of seeing how a person of substance and, and that is smart, it has been uh, talked about in such a, and, and I'm not speaking necessarily even just from people who've, who've challenged her. I'm speaking from some of how she's been covered. And it's like, I'm so grateful that I know more people that are not hateful and, and mean than those who are mm. there's, there's been a shift. And, um, I don't think that that reflects everybody. So that's, that gives me hope. Yeah. To your point earlier, <laughs> I love that picture that's going around social media with judge Kataji Brown Jackson being paralleled with Ruby Bridges have mm-hmm. you seen that? And and that's what it reminded me of when when you talk about the parallels or the things that the first and only had to go through. Yeah, it's through. never easy when you're the first. It's never yeah. easy. Yeah. All right. So and Cory Booker, you guys whew, saw that? A ray Absolutely. of sunshine. <laughs> Absolutely. He said, I'm gonna use my time to build you up <laughs> because I can tell you you you're you're getting close to the end here. And uh, I can't imagine just being questioned for hours and hours. Like if someone questioned me about every story I've done or, you know, listen, some stories I just wasn't as experienced or, you know, when she talks about working with other attorneys, I think of how in newsrooms, there's a, there's a, there's many a layers this goes through. It gets approved by a producer, a senior producer, a news director, a legal team. <laughs> um, yeah, you do the best you can and you just you you pray that people might see the errors of their way and, and change. But yeah, we're just gonna yeah. But Cory Booker's <laughs> it was nice to hear from Cory Booker that day. Oh, he Very made nice. everyone emotional, I think that he was did. um of the black and brown persuasion. I'll say that. I think it you know what though, Ashley, I would say, and I, I, I speak too from both of my Siblings, uh, as you know, they are married to people that are not black and brown. Um, well, you could argue that, that Eric is. I mean, that's a whole nother story for another day. But, you know, um, I feel like there's some some allies that that felt that, too. I mean, yes. it's always again, I when I talk about it hitting different for my grandmother, the way that, you know, the way the stories hit me because she's lived it it's going to hit different for people who look like us because we've lived it. We've lived certain parts of what he was talking about, but I think there were, you know, some of my white friends who were like, Whoa, Mm -hmm. did you, did you hear that? That was beautiful. That that's the part that gets me, you know, knowing that there are people that aren't just black and Brown that, that see the beauty in what he said, but they're like more of that. That was great loved everything he had to say. And I don't know that we were in a state too, where people felt comfortable even 30 years ago saying, I agree with what he's saying as a white person. So I, I just love the fact that people can of all persuasions can see that the beauty and, and the truth and the essence of what he had to say to her at that moment to kind of, you know, like I said, build her up. And we saw how it impacted her. Yeah. I mean, because up until that point, I don't think I had seen an emotion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she showed that. Okay. Wow. Thank you for this. (laughs) I needed that. So beautiful. 
Ashley and I have this pop culture podcast and we like to lean towards the lighter flair of mm-hmm. things. However, okay. you have reported on what Uh-oh. I would like to call the dark side of Ooh. Hollywood, specifically oh with the Me Too and the Time's Up movements. Mm-hmm. How has your views change towards the industry as it, as it relates to these two movements? And mm-hmm. are you still able to enjoy it? I am still able to enjoy it. I think that it's a microcosm of a bigger problem. I think Hollywood shined the light on it and it became a bigger story because these were prominent women with means that were still suffering or had stories of not getting parts, not having access feeling less than because of how they were treated. We did a story about a group of sexual assault survivors who talked about how they were triggered by a lot of the coverage because they too had experienced being sexually assaulted. And I think when you look at the numbers, it's a sad, sad story of a number of people in this country having an experience where whether they've been sexually harassed, sexually assaulted. A lot of times it's by people we know, people we trust. So I just think I'm, I'm appreciative that we, we in this, at this time are having those conversations. We're now talking to our sons and daughters about agency over their body, what they shouldn't be saying, who they shouldn't be touching. And if anybody touches you this way, this is what you need to tell mommy and daddy. Um, I don't know that those conversations were as prevalent 30, 40, 50 years ago. And I think a lot of times, you know, when you look at a culture like what, what you're describing, it's steeped in when these things happen, young boys and girls are sometimes often told to be quiet. Mm. They were told, don't talk about it. They were told to get over it. So if that is the training early on, again, culturally across the board, What do you think is going to happen later on in life, play out in our overall societal, you know, how we see women, how we treat women and how we deal with these problems. We, we throw Mm -hmm. money at it. We say, okay, now stop talking about it. Or we, or we just say, bury it and keep it moving. And you have even people of an older generation that would say, well, honey, you know, I had guys grabbing my boobs and behind all the time when I worked at the bank or whatever the case may be, because sadly that was normalized. But now we're at a point where we're going no more. That's not okay because you're seeing me as an object. You're not seeing me as somebody that's just as capable as the men in this boardroom. You're seeing me as a piece of something and not a part of this company. Um, so I think it's, it's important and it, it doesn't discourage me. It encourages me. But I also think through those stories too, I think there is something to be said about making sure we get it right. Mm-hmm. Because just because someone says that these things happen, we need to still, as journalists, I can speak for myself, make sure that we're asking the questions about when, why, where did this happen? And not to make them feel like they're being interrogated, but it's also a big deal when you accuse someone of doing something and you need to be able to show some sort of proof uh, that these things happen because it's livelihoods that are at stake too. The minute you accuse someone of something so egregious as sexual assault, rape, misconduct, however you want to frame it. So I think, you know, we have a job 
as journalists to make sure that we, we do our best to get it right and present all sides. But the bigger, to me, takeaway has been people finally feeling comfortable enough to talk about it in a way where they don't feel as though they're going to be shamed or no one's going to believe them. You yourself kind of got caught up in things uh, back in 2018 when you had to report on Jeff Fager and that situation. And I know usually journalists don't really like to become the story. So how did yeah. you feel having to kind of step out in front of that in order to, to your point, kind of get the story right and tell the full picture? I was surprised. I mean, I, um, I've talked about this before. I don't talk about it often, but when you cover people you know, and they do or did something that forces your hand to do everything you've been telling other people you're supposed to do when these things happen. Like, why didn't you tell someone, you know, when someone is talking to me and I'm interviewing them, why didn't you go to the police? I'm now in this weird situation when I was reading those texts going, uh, I can't believe this person now has put me in a position where I have to report this. Um, so it was, not a, a fun time, but um, it was nice to see that I had the backing of many of my colleagues. And a lot of people wrote me emails and notes saying, you know, thank you for, for doing that and had stories of their own unrelated to Jeff Fager, but just how they don't think they would have been seen because they're not a national correspondent on television. You know, and that hit too, because there are people in this life that you know will never get heard in the same way because perhaps they're not in a prominent position, you know? Um, so I think it's important to, to keep that in mind. Um, but it's also important to hold people accountable. You can't say things to people or do things to people and, and not um, expect consequences. Absolutely. But I'm still at CBS and, you know, I'm very happy to be there. So it was a, a, a moment in time we've, we've sort of moved on from it and I have no ill will toward anyone, but I'm glad it, it was handled in the way that it, it was handled. So we have to move over to a bit of a lighter topic. I was going to say, when is the fun stuff going to come? <laughs> Man. Is, you know, the podcast that we do is all about TV, film. So yeah, I heard y'all talking watching? about Kanye on the last one. <laughs> Yeah. Talking about the Grammys and yeah, that's, look at Dolores shaking her head. <laughs> that's a subject that has been, as you know, very prominent in the pop culture news world. So yeah, we have to cover it. But what are you watching on TV and like movies right now? Like, what are you into? Mm. So I just finished watching a couple of things for work. Inventing Anna. Mm -hmm. Yes. And Bad Vegan. Yeah. On yeah. my own, I've watched um, Love is Blind. Yes. Yeah, and I watched the first both season. seasons. Okay. First of okay. all, I just love uh, Nick Lachey and um, Vanessa. Vanessa mm -hmm. Lachey together doing this. They, they're such a great team. And I, I love how she has his back and he has her back. Yes. Um, and they're just like the perfect couple to host something like this. So what did I think? I find the whole concept fascinating, but more importantly, I think it speaks to just how much people want to be in something that feels real mm, yeah. and they want to be with, with people that they have a connection with. And it's kind of sad because we've, you know, it's it, this interesting tale of 
as my father said, focus on your career, but not really telling, you know, women, but make sure, you know, in, in your twenties, you start actually really dating for people that might potentially be somebody you want to spend the rest of your life with. A lot of times you're told like, oh, it's your twenties, have fun. And it's like, thir- next thing you know, you're 30 and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> and then the pickings getting slim. People got kids, they getting married, they've been divorced. And you're like, damn. So I just, I find the whole love is blind thing is sort of, again, a window into like the state of dating right now. There's a lot of people you know, between that sort of 25, 35, which I am probably out of that space, but I am getting <laughs> wiser and just how difficult it can be. People ask me all the time too, like, what's it like dating in New York or what is it? And I'm just like, I don't really have the time. And I just, the energy involved, I'm looking forward to maybe meeting that perfect person one day, not even perfect, just someone that works, but watching a TV show where people would go before cameras that monitor your every move and the conversations with hopes of something that is, is the chances seem very slim. And I kept wondering what happened to all of those other people that we saw in the beginning. Yes. And then I wonder about the people who I'd be curious to know the number of people who auditioned for that show. Ooh, that's a great, you know, like it's probably over 500 people easily that saw the ad or however, even hear about these types of things to, um, to try to meet their person. And yeah, it's all, it's fascinating because it's, it's, it's like a, a social, it is, it's a social experiment. Absolutely. What I love, and I haven't watched the second season yet. Delora has watched it. The first season just felt so pure because (laughs) no one knew what they were really getting themselves into with the whole concept of Love is Blind, you know, versus kind of some of the other dating shows like The Bachelor and some of those that have Mm -hmm. just been around for so long, you know, the formula. So, you know, you have the Lauren and Camerons that are just like the lightning in a bottle, beautiful, worked out um, from that concept. But it was just really so like, what is this? is this going to work? And the idea of, you know, trying to get to know people without the physical substantive, you know, when you're out in the dating world that you're usually paying attention to, well, how tall is someone? Do I like the way that they look? You know, all those factors kind of taking a back seat was also fascinating kind of for that first season, because you just in the dating world, to your point, which I'm still in with you, Jerika, it's wild out here. <laughs> it's it's yeah. wild. Right. Yeah, it, it, it is. And um, <laughs> it's just difficult, I think, to meet people that share the same type of um, ideas that that I do. And I don't think they're that off, but it's like I'm living in a different universe, apparently. <laughs> oh, my gosh, it, it can be. And there's some really good people out there. I mean, I've met people that I'm just not attracted to in that way, but they're, you know, they're friends. Wonderful. Yeah, exactly. But I don't, you know, yeah. Anything else that you're watching or into? Um, those Music. three shows are probably it for me. I Oh, I just recently saw the uh, movie that's up for the Academy Award with Will Smith. King Richard. King Richard. King Richard. I really enjoyed that. I think those movies can be difficult to do with sports because there's so much of the buildup and certain moments. And you're like, oh, I do remember that. Or I do remember her, you know, whatever happened to this person. It's it sort of, to me, it sends me down 
the path of wanting to know even more. So you start Googling different things or yes, knowing more absolutely. about the coaches, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was very well done. And man, to see that and remember, again, we've lived it, what Venus and Serena endured yeah, and how far they've come. It's quite amazing. It, it really is. It's a phenomenal story. So I'm glad that it was done and I hope they win a lot of awards. Um, as this far is as music this year, as me and Delora keep saying, this is Sidney. Yeah, I mean, between the book and the movies, yeah, he's doing his thing. As far as music is concerned, it's funny. Yesterday, I was doing my daughter's hair, and we were watching the Rolling Stones on PBS. <laughs> I was like, "Do you like this music?" She's like, "I do." I was like, "Yeah, they're a very well known group." Yeah, and then of course I'm like, my daughter's like, "Is he dead?" Is he still alive? Because, oh. <laughs> you know, this, this concert was from like 2006. Oh. And Mick Jagger's like almost 80 years old now. Yes. But you I say that to say, yeah, yeah, I know. I enjoy all, all kinds of music, but um, J. Cole is one of mm-hmm. my favorite. I listen to his album often. Um, her, love yes. her. We love her. I like Janae Aiko too. Yep. Yes. I know her, her last album was from 2020, but I'll play that every once in a while. That and then I just like Ashley's some good hitting gems. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, vibe. Yeah. I love both yeah. of those last two. I mean, J. Cole as a um, rapper is probably one of my favorites just because he actually, in my opinion, has quite a bit to say. And so I really mm-hmm. appreciate him for that. Mm-hmm. Um, no shade, but <laughs> yeah. You know, the Dreamville Festival is coming up. I wish I, I could go. This is um, Dreamville is his production company. Yeah. And they have a annual music festival. And I, I don't think I'll be able to make it. I've, that's another person that I'd love to interview and been trying to for some time. Well, I have April to add it to and our third. repertoire. We're already going to Essence Fest this year. We have some yeah. things oh, I'm, we're hitting. I'm thinking about going to that. That's great. Is that in May? June, so July, it's June, the end June. of June, yeah. early July. July. If you do, oh, we okay. should, we, I we'll think hopefully I might connect do with that. you. Yeah, I really want to get some artwork from there because I remember the last yes. time I was there, they had some incredible artists. Yes. And I thought, oh, man, if I had been prepared, I would totally. But then I'm thinking, how do I ship it? That's probably going to cost a bunch of money if I get some nice big paintings. Mm-hmm. But yeah, maybe I'll see you guys at the Essence Festival. Yeah, we will maybe I'll get to. Jasmine to come with me. Yes, that'd be amazing. Jasmine's never been to the Essence Festival. I think she would We've never love been it. either. Yeah, we so have we're oh, really? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll be there. So <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Essence Festival, here we come. I got to look into that. Please do. Let me move on to my final two questions for you. So, yes. You've spoken a bit on advice, particularly advice your father gave you, but what advice do you have for those who are listening and possibly Mm -hmm. early in their journalism careers or still in college or just looking for a shift and kind of want to follow along in your path? Very simple. For me, it always boils down to work hard and don't forget to have fun. We take ourselves so seriously and I'm, I do this. I took myself very seriously in track. i taking myself very seriously in my career, but then there are some times where you're just like, it'll happen the way it's supposed to happen. And I really believe so that more and more with each day to just let it, let it be. I mean, it doesn't mean you just sit back, relax and like, Oh, it'll happen, but you do have to put the work in, <laughs> but make sure you have fun at the same time. 
live this world, this day. It's, it's not the next day. It's not promised. I mean, we're watching what's happening in Ukraine mm-hmm. and it's another yes. reminder to just definitely keep those people in our prayers and people all across the world who are facing humanitarian crises. We are really blessed to be in this country. We really are because there's just yes. unrest in a lot of places that we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just, as far as advice is concerned for up and coming journalists is to work hard, work at your craft, read and have fun. I saw on your Instagram, hashtag hard work pays off. So there you go. <laughs> Look at y'all doing your research. I'm telling you definitely always have Man. to do the research. So yes. my last and final bonus question. So oh, I was bonus question. Such, I was such bonus a big round. fan. Yes, I was such a big fan of the program inside the actor studio that uh, James Lipton used to host. Mm. And he would always ask a series of 10 questions. And I want to end with his mm. very last one, Jerika. And obviously, you're a woman of faith. So are we. So we won't say if heaven exists, we will say heaven exists. So what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gate? See, this is not right because what if I get to some horrific car crash and now you got to use this at my funeral? And oh, she no. just said, No, no, she just not said, at all. And we're not claiming any of that. <laughs> you are not protected. Not Let me live a long, long life. Angel yes. encamped around this, about yes. you. This will be when all you're a right. hundred plus years old. All right. I, all right. Okay. It's funny. Um, a girlfriend I went on a trip with, the person who organized the trip, she each gave us party passes. And it says mine expires 4-4-2068. And I recently found this party pass. And I asked my friend, why? Why my party pass expired at 85? <laughs> I want to still be partying after 85. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yes. when I get to heaven in the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. I hope that God will say. I mean, job well done sounds so cliche. So let me think. But give it's me, real. Give though. me 10 seconds. Give me 10 seconds. I hope God will say we've been waiting. Mm. <laughs> In other words, I, I guess I, my, I served my purpose. Yeah. I've been waiting for you. Oh, that's beautiful. And welcome home. How lovely is that to think that God can't wait to see you again? Like mm. how beautiful is that to think that he's been missing your presence? Yes. In heaven. That's beautiful. So there we go. That's kind of dark, but yeah. (laughs) Drika, this has been a phenomenal conversation with you. Thank you so much for your time, for your openness and your gems of wisdom. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Ashley and Delore for having me. It's been a great time. You guys are doing an awesome job. Continued success with your podcast recapping. So um, I hope everybody downloads this and I hope to see you at the Essence Festival. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to put that recapping in our intro. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, do it, do it. Wow. Wow, Ashley. Did that just happen? (laughs) Just happy for all of the friends, family, co-workers who reached out to both of us when we told them we were doing this interview and was like, oh my God, please tell her I love her so much of all the, you know, journalists and things on national news. Love her, love her. Everybody loves you, Jerika, everybody. Big facts and continue, continue doing your 
amazing work. Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. It just means so much to us. So thank you. Absolutely. And guys, definitely check out her Instagram. Check her out on CBS. And man, we will keep rolling with it and finding other industry insiders, as Laura always puts it, to drop (laughs) some gems on the mic. Thank you again, Jerika Duncan and Ashley. 100 episodes locked. In the bag, baby. Guys, we'll see you next time. Bye.